0: A patient uh, started having chest issues. Well, this person, through their training or what have you, started rendering care and providing CPR. Well, the patient died. Well, as soon as that plane landed, that specialist was arrested. Welcome to the Circuit Magazine. The number one source of information on protection matters. The industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game.
1: Including a medical doctor in your EP team. Today, Sean West and myself, we're going to be speaking with Dr. George DeBusque, founder of ASPIS, a bespoke medical doctor service to ultra high net worth individuals and EP organizations. Happy New Year, Sean. How are you doing?
2: Yeah, it's been great. Happy New Year to yourself and to all of our listeners. Um, it's been great just to have some downtime with the family. Uh, I was fortunate to have a bit of time off this year, um, which is always difficult in this industry, but it was nice to have the downtime, and I hope everyone else has had a bit of downtime with their families. And if you have been working, I hope you've managed to remain safe and keep your principles safe also.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, and 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 Carving that out is part of your health regime too. So it's sort of linking with today's topic of uh, medical uh, doctors. Um, Actually, this uh, particular individual that we're speaking to today, I met at the IPSP in Vegas, uh, which was a fantastic uh, event. You will have noticed as listeners, hopefully, no doubts, that we had a guest uh, co-moderator for the last episode uh, in uh, Chris Story, where we talked about the Unified Protector. And, and 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 when uh, Dr. Dubas uh, sort of mentioned that he might like to do a segment on MD, I initially thought back to the beginning of the pandemic when we sort of said, "Oh, uh, because certain services are no longer available in quote unquote safe countries." Does that mean everyone needs an MD? And then I think there was a general sense of, "Oh, well, maybe that's a that's an overreaction. Surely it's more likely that you're maybe aging." Ultra high net worth individual will have a boring complaint
2: rather than a gunshot wound. It, do, do do you see what I mean? No, I, I get I get where you're going with this, and I think heart disease and heart problems is probably more of a risk than you know feeling a bullet wound or something like that. So that there's definitely a case for having a doctor, not necessarily within the team, but access to for the team. And I think you know I've, I've worked for a number of organisations and high net worth individuals. And what I find when you get to sort of, I don't know, a billionaire status, for instance, a lot of the billionaire individuals do have their own. Everyone has a private doctor, but one that's more, I don't know, accessible on call than booking a GP appointment at a GP surgery. You know, they have these guys that are employed by them, that know everything about their health. They can advise on you know drugs they should be taking or, vitamin or whatever that may be health-wise to keep them in tip-top condition. I think... Working hand-in-hand hand with the team, I know a lot of good organisations where they'd have the doctor that's employed by the organisation, they can lay out set protocols that will be passed down to the CP team to say, oh, your principal has these. If, if your principal doesn't want to share them with you direct, if anything you need to be aware of, you, be, you can become aware via that. Obviously, maintaining the confidentiality of the principal, of the things that that's quite to be kept confidential. The things that you may need to be aware of if you spot a certain sign or symptom, this is the actions on that you take. Call this number, speak to me, speak to this person, whatever it may be, so the team is more prepared and ready and have the correct access to the correct equipment or drugs that they might need.
1: And and I guess that's the nugget, uh, that's, the, that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? Because um, there, there may be complaints that are embarrassing. There, there, there may be complaints that are private. Um, and, and, and people would open up to a medical doctor in a way that they wouldn't maybe to someone who is an EP specialist, but on the side did a fret course, right? They're going to feel more, uh, connected with the, 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 the MD. So, so, so I guess it'll be interesting, uh, talking uh, to Dr. George, how that can be integrated in the team, uh, you know, are, uh, EP operatives, your eyes and ears, or are they going to you know, overstep the boundary in any way if they try and do anything medical. Also, licensing. Uh, also, the difference between different countries. And and then I guess how if you if you were to have an MD in your team, how do you keep them engaged? They they, they you know the, the Dr. Dubaske is a trauma surgeon, so that's probably quite high paced. I would imagine. Um, how, how do you keep them part of the team?
2: I just uh, see. I'm I'm not sold sure on the idea of having a doctor within the team. Potentially, certainly for access to and i think like we said they can be employed within the organization but i think doctors also need to keep themselves current with other people as well if you have the skill field, you have to you know keep training or keep treating advising whatever it is and if you're only working to one person and you're not getting any other hands-on experience it's you can become complacent and out of touch with you know upcoming trends new technologies new treatments so I don't think they need to be on a team. It's the same with other positions as well. You know, you can bring people in; they come to a set period with you, then they go in, they do another form of training, get some more skills, come back to be in a to be actually embedded on a CP team. I'm not too sure. Great if you can have it, but I'm not too sure how many teams have that. In hostile environments, you have a team that have a paramedics, for instance, but an actual doctor. I don't know.
1: Well, this is indeed what we're going to explore. And hey, this is uh, a new year, new you. I don't know, health kick uh, type episode to start off the new year. Um, it, you know, it could it could give our audience reflections on how they look at their own health. It could look at make them think about the health of their team, their principal, um, and 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 generally uh, a, a nice start to twenty twenty three. So, um, Sean, uh, let's get into it with Doctor George DeBasque. And let's look at the possible, you know, outcome of including a medical doctor in your next EP operation. And now let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. including a medical doctor on EP operations, a big idea, perhaps one that has come to the fore over the last few years. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Dr. George DeBasque, founder of Aspetha. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing?
0: Thank you, sir. I'm doing fine. And yourself?
1: Yes, I'm enjoying the new year. It's exciting. Lots of going on and of course it was just a few weeks ago at the IPSP in Vegas that uh, that we met um but uh, but before we get into to sort of why we're talking uh, about this with you why don't we start off with the topic itself um why is this a topic for EP what what problem are we trying to solve by sort of grappling with the idea of including an MD
0: sure The biggest problem that uh, I've noticed and uh, has become quite pertinent is the lack of medical oversight. What we're noticing, especially in law enforcement um, and other uh, groups, uh, that there is uh, the need to provide some sort of standard Especially a medical standard uh, that we see, let's say, in the UK with the SIA and providing, let's say, FRAC training or something of the sort, but that the community, the protective security community uh, comes to expect and would adhere to uh, that would, again, satisfy everybody's perspectives.
1: Okay, so oversight and and perhaps someone to tie it all together, um, and we'll, and we'll get into exactly how that could work in practice and and on all the benefits. But um, all right, let's take a step back. Let's ask that question that uh, many people sort of start with. But I, I like to start with the topic. Um, what about you? Where does where does your passion for this uh, combination come from?
0: Sure, uh, my background specifically as a trauma surgeon, uh, being in academics and uh, for for many many years with a family background in law enforcement uh, and military. Um, I'm the only one in my family who was not in the military um, because I was told, well, you should go to school first. Well, through years and years, <laughs> uh, it's going on a couple decades of schooling and then practice as a trauma surgeon, uh, working with uh, special operations uh, groups, uh, initially with law enforcement and they're, uh, they're on transitioning to uh, working with special operations medical, uh, specifically the Special Operations Medical Association and being an associate editor of the Journal of Special Operations Medicine. I've come to learn and know a number of different uh, security groups and protection groups, uh, both in the military uh, and both private security as well. And that's become a real enjoyment and pleasure uh, knowing folks in this community
1: so 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 why should this be of interest to the uninitiated protector what what should the uninitiated protector better understand they 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 may not have even uh a freck type qualification so 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 this is presumably going to be something that they need to learn about
0: yeah uh, the biggest concern that we've noticed is with folks and and security folks protecting folks that are, are starting to come under some level of scrutiny. Um, and there's an expectation that I've noticed, uh, and it's been you know, uh, ever-present and, and certainly increasing recently uh, in the past few years, that uh, people would have some sort of ad- medical training, whether that be basic life support for state people are, are pushing around the, the expectation that people have this these kinds of qualifications up to and including being able to handle any sort of emergency situation. Uh, and I'm not sure people have a good sense of what it, it entails, especially from the fundamental level of, okay, am I really going to be tasked with being the immediate first responder if there's a situation because by you know de facto, they are the initial, people on the scene uh, up to including having to deal with uh, emergency responders so some background uh, of clinical medical uh, understanding is definitely important
1: and uh, just for the context of the listener you're an actual md you, you're an actual practicing md this is not like some sort of retirement gig for you this is this is actual md work
0: that's correct. I'm a trauma surgeon and an intensive care or critical care specialist as well. Uh, currently, uh, in practice.
1: Um... Perfect. Okay. So, so, so then let's get into how this can either enrich the life of an EP, uh, you know, operator, or if they're building a team, uh, when and where they can sort of integrate. Uh, an an MD because we've had on the podcast before the debate between tactical medic and paramedic. Uh, In fact, we are going to have uh, an upcoming episode uh, about um, sort of medevac medics, uh, which, which is in itself something, you know, even, even more different. This is one step above that even. Um, How can we get this sort of topic to the front of people's minds? If we're still having a, shall we say, debate, about tactical medic versus paramedic?
0: I think it's really important to understand that the protective security community has to accommodate the full range, the full spectrum of uh, specialists, uh, including the, the the security guard at the door up to and including uh, quite advanced practitioners like the tactical medic or, or the paramedic. So at a fundamental level... Meeting and uh, meeting those expectations uh, of our community is really fundamental. Without some sort of basic understanding and expectation, and a community that agrees to adhere to those uh, standards, I think you're going to continue to have a problem with providing that general those guidelines. Uh, to again the very very entry level security or protection specialists up to and including very advanced practitioners that may have let's say medical training uh through the military or or what have you even surgical training so i think you have to first identify who we're talking about before we start adding in all the players
1: okay and I, i i mean i suppose you're working in this field but uh, yes. Is is there much demand that cannot be filled? I mean, is this even a widespread concern that, that, that sort of people should look at?
0: Yes. And the reason for that is because of the legal liability that is now starting to become ever present. Um, even in the military, we're seeing that it's, it's difficult to be anywhere on this planet uh, that is in some way not connected digitally uh, or by some communications, even special operations teams. And we saw that last year uh, at the the conference, we were plugged in directly live uh, with Ukraine uh, into what was uh, going on with uh, some of their teams. Uh, it's, It's impossible nowadays to not have some degree of medical oversight uh, for any number of reasons. One, just to have that additional uh, security uh, for the medical practitioner, again, regardless of what, what level they're at, but to have somebody say, no, I think, you know, uh, I can weigh in on the situation. They have some additional background. Uh, there are numerous companies that provide that already uh, to airlines, uh, for instance. That's a very common example, um, such that, again, if a situation comes up, that there's some additional level of security and medical uh, advice and input that's being offered the practitioner so that they're not, uh, quote-unquote, practicing in a vacuum or practicing at all
1: for that matter. But, and I was you know, I'm just sort of throwing it out there, if an MD as a general doctor, a generalist, is going to assess whether or not a patient needs specialist care is that something that could be maybe done with telemedicine rather than send an MD with a team Uh, because, because I mean, do all MDs have paramedic skills? Um, What's the difference uh, across countries between a GP and a general MD I guess I guess what are we talking about specifically? Are we talking about just having it in your ecosystem for compliance or are we talking about taking an MD into a hot zone, into your next London operation? What what are we sort of reflecting on?
0: Right. Um, I think what you are asking actually has a number of different facets to it. The first and foremost aspect is, can a GP um, or a, a physician be able to provide some degree of medical direction uh, through telemedicine? And absolutely. Absolutely. Um, of course, when they do that, there's a couple of caveats. The caveat number one, first and foremost, uh, is that this person not be an entry level physician, somebody who, let's say, just finished training. They need to have some degree of experience. Um, I say that they should have at least a minimum of three years in their specialty, that they have already, so to speak, uh, acquired at, at least a minimum degree. of of skills uh, to be able to handle just their own ability to to render care and have an understanding by phone or by video chat what they're assessing. Sometimes that uh, that will happen through their training. Um, Invariably physicians will through their training have to deal with consultations. So in a way that's that's pertinent right off the bat. However, when it comes to security and protection, what's really incumbent upon any physician that deals with this community is that, number one, they have to be cognizant of the requirements of a protection and security team. Somebody who doesn't have that Uh, understanding to ensure that any medical issue becomes a significant liability, not only to the detail or the team providing uh, for the principal or the client's safety, but also that any untoward embarrassment to the client uh, and the principal could have a significant effect on their safety, number one, uh, their Families, uh, their company, their brand valuation. So anybody that's in this community should be cognizant of the requirements of the security agency. Um, beyond that, when we start talking about other facets of, you know, can anybody get involved? Um, well, I would I would strongly suggest that in order to do that, again they might want to ratchet up into those levels of experience and professionalism that comes more so with actually having been involved and invested uh, in the community. And that right now is is lacking um, for a number of different reasons, which we can discuss. But my feeling is, is that the medical oversight and those physicians who have been involved in the past I heard at the CPC a myriad of different stories from different uh, agency owners, which unfortunately embarrassed me as a physician because I I can understand that the level of competence, their uh, experience, was sorely lacking. Not everybody is a trauma surgeon, of course. Not everybody is an intensive care physician, which I'm completely cognizant of. When people hire me, they're not hiring me as a trauma surgeon to, you know, quote unquote, surgerize or operate. What they're hiring is somebody who has insight who can actually interface with the client's GP, uh, up to and including uh, their subspecialist. Uh, we see, and by my experience that. I deal with a lot of, let's say, orthopedic surgeons, try and be a GP or a, a family practice physician in the United States, trying to get a hold of a, a neurosurgeon or an orthopedic surgeon uh, and not being one yourself and try to have a, a succinct and cogent conversation with somebody. I find that, again, you're trying to establish the full spectrum of care for a patient, not just be reactionary and deal with, well, whatever just seems to happen. You're actually trying to provide for any eventuality, but also have the experience and wherewithal to know that there's a lot of things that come with a security detail, the entourage, their family. I've heard of stories of the client having uh, a uh, a, a teenage daughter in the family who didn't tell their family that she was pregnant, and, and being on uh, uh, in a in a private aircraft, uh, twenty thirty thousand feet up in the air, and then having an issue. So, again, there's a lot of things that come along with that that need to be taken into account. So,
1: and I guess I guess that paints perhaps a different picture from some of our um you know i mentioned paramedic versus tactical medic debate because it's not about oh dear there is a bullet wound to patch it's not oh dear there is a tourniquet to apply although maybe that could happen you know that that, that could happen it's much more likely maybe i put to you uh my principal is uh in advanced years or my principal has a uh a specific requirement anyway it's much better that someone comes with them because that could flare up that could be an issue we're not really worried so much about why we need an md for well trauma or, or 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 are we are we are we worried about bringing an md with us because previously safe countries quote unquote or previously reliable countries where we imagined we could find healthcare over the last few years there have been examples of where maybe that was not available
0: Yeah, I'll be honest with you. What I do currently is, uh, through my company, I work as a contract physician at various institutions, hospitals in the United States. Um, And that's uh, something that has become ever prevalent, and that is people are, are quite cognizant of, the, say, the traveling nurse. Well, there are traveling physicians, there are traveling surgeons. And being one, I can tell you that even in a first world country with resources that people assume are are perceivably indefinite, I can guarantee you and I can tell you that I've been to places in the United States that are not that far out of major uh in cities that are severely lacking in resources um especially let's say along the border uh in some of our our border towns and and cities that it's really shocking so when somebody says well we we can have our resources we have that um i would i would beg to differ and i think it's really important that anybody again uh who's going to be providing the community, the protective security community, they have to have an understanding of, let's say, medical intelligence, the medical threat analysis, we would call that the advance. But to your point specifically, that also entails, let's say, the geriatric patient that you're speaking of. Um, does an MD have to be physically there with them? No, not necessarily. Have I heard of stories uh, where a principal, a client Uh, would like to have that physician as part of the detail? Absolutely, and I think they should be accommodated um, more often than not uh, as a client service uh, or a service to the client. But again, I think it's really incumbent upon anybody to understand that the majority of what you're going to see, and this is actually present in the literature, uh, especially when you're talking about, let's say, contoms, there people throw around TCCC, or TECC, and that's wonderful. Those are standards, principally TCCC, or tactical Combat Casualty Gear. That's military, uh, that's geared for military type observations and, uh, you know, uh, professionals. But when it comes to civilian, we're actually talking about uh, T-E-C-C, or more specifically that I see for law enforcement, that's CONTOMS. Um, your, your listeners may not be familiar with it, but that's the counter-narcotics uh, program mm. um, that is, again, specific uh, to more of the civilian, let's say, law enforcement. And that's where people have to understand what we're we're discussing here. The majority of what people are going to see out there are actually going to be this, quote unquote, you know, non trauma situations, you know, uh, uh, the primary medical conditions uh, that people have that start to bear. One of the good examples that I like to give is uh, the patient with Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disorder. Uh, These people, unfortunately, have uh, very, very, you know, um, it can be a serious condition. But let's say they they may be defecating, you know, blood. It's like, okay, well, that could be a bit of a problem, and that could be extremely unnerving to a detail that if they didn't know to expect it or didn't know what the, they were in for, they might that might cause a lot of problems for the security team. Um, and really, what it entails is just a little, you know, uh, preventative maintenance, some, you know, foreknowledge. Uh, that oftentimes I find the principal too embarrassed Mm. uh, to provide or the security team to specifically ask for. And as a physician myself, again, I'm able to bridge that divide and say, listen, I'm here as an asset. I'm here to provide additional safety uh, for you, let's say. Um, Can you give me a little bit more information? I'm not as worried about the stabbing or the shooting, and, and let's be honest, uh, any any situation with a principal that has gotten to that point, um, things have really gone sideways and that really brings up questions as to what type of preparation the security team has provided, if indeed the the principal or the client, the entourage or whoever, is now under threat of uh, getting shot or stabbed or, or blown up or, or what have you. So. I think it's important to understand the expectations, as I mentioned at
1: the beginning. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And it paints an important picture because maybe there are some, you know, uh, principles in advanced years or maybe with, you know, entire family entourages that go into a hot zone. But I don't hear about it um and maybe right. there are some that that will come under fire but it is maybe the more mundane the more embarrassing the more uh long standing uh, issues that you have to deal with correct correct and that's
0: that's a lot of what i deal with um one of the things that uh, i ensure i have the ability to uh to do is as you mentioned before uh, provide uh, a digital presence, uh, whether that be telemedicine or what have you, but it even comes down to the medic, uh, the electronic medical record system that I employ uh, through our company, um, digital prescriptions, being able to, if necessary, provide direct medical care, because that's one of the things a lot of physicians also don't do, I've noticed that many of them are quote unquote absentee landlords as I like to uh, call it because when I'm in the trauma bay or something of the sort and I have teams coming into me, I'll ask them, well, you provided this care, you uh, rendered uh, this type of treatment you know, why, what was the thinking? Have you trained on it? You know, have you discussed this with your medical oversight or your medical director? And more often than not, I find the response is no. Um, so, you know, for myself, I have licensure to practice uh, in states across the, the U.S. and also abroad. So if a situation comes up, uh, it's incumbent upon me to be culturally aware and sensitive. Um, To understand that I may not be in a Christian country, um, so that those norms that are applied in a Western uh, mindset, they don't exist elsewhere. And that's really, really critical, again, uh, for oversight to provide, that they have no limitations, also of a religious nature, um, or other gender, let's say orientation situations that would uh, you know, compromise their ability to, to provide first and foremost that asset to the team, the security team but also in general, the ethical needs of a physician caring for a patient because ultimately that's what ends up happening. You're not just there to sign documents saying, oh, you've got certification to provide CPR, um, But, you know, there's a little bit more there to provide that additional insight. Uh, Again, from A to Z, we're looking at, okay, teams that can't even give paracetamol for the U.S. audience, that's Tylenol. So, you know, you'll have uh, folks who uh, are, are, uh, you know, drivers uh and transportation companies i had a wonderful conversation there at uh, the cpc in las vegas um, of the needs and requirements of the transportation team there are clients uh principals that when they're in the auto they're asking for simple things like again paracetamol uh, aspirin or what have you and they cannot give it as simple a thing as it is um, they just cannot give it. So people need to be mindful. Physicians, I find that to be uh, of critical importance, that they're not cognizant of really what a team can and cannot do. And that again gets back to that liability uh, and those those legal ramifications, not just in the United States or the UK, but in again countries that have um, a different set of uh, religious norms. That becomes really, really critical.
1: And so, yeah, you know, I mean that is that is important because you need to get the right license. You know, I'm sure protectors will appreciate that because there's lots of places they can and cannot work. Um, right. But be be maybe by by way of you know utility, could we say what makes a bad integration with an MD? What, uh, do, yeah. what do you want to avoid? I mean, it, could, could it be as simple as they didn't cost it properly? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what, what makes a bad integration?
0: Right, um, I can give a number of uh, examples. I think fundamentally though, w- number one, the ability of a security agency or company uh, to understand the various degrees of uh, competence, experience, Uh, the services that are able to be afforded. In other words, what type of clinician am I looking for? Because here's the thing, a number of companies out there uh, will provide medical support. Wonderful, that's great. Um, I can name a couple of companies uh, that are extremely uh, uh, well um, represented, um, both in the tactical community, the military community, et cetera. I, 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 almost to a, 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 a degree of significant concern and, and significant trepidation on my part, the clinician, and the reason why I say clinician, because a clinician is anybody that will render medical care who has some degree of advanced uh, training. A physician is different. I think we can agree on that, but these companies that provide that level of oversight are actually providing a clinician. And it's happening, especially in private practice groups, GP uh, offices, uh, family medicine offices in the United States. It just happened the other night. One of my clients called me and said, well, I called my GP's office and I wasn't able to get to them. I got the nurse who's covering overnight and they just said, well, just go to the emergency room. Well, that's a bit of an issue because number one, they're not getting somebody who can actually directly care for them, they don't have an agreement in place. Number one, this nurse may have it, um, but she does then not have the additional experience, which as you know, her thought was, well, maybe the child, and this is a pediatric issue, Um, which, again, that's also a significant concern to people dealing with, let's say, a principal or client's children uh, as part of the entourage or family, especially if it's static security and protection, but dealing with somebody who doesn't have the experience and would just simply say, well, you know, do this or do that to the detriment uh, or imposition of the client, the fact that they sent this uh, my client with his, at this point, they were a four-year-old child into the emergency room to wait there for three hours before even being seen by anybody until they finally called me and I said, just go ahead, leave. I asked a few simple questions and was able to instruct them from there. So when you contact these other companies, the question becomes, what level of experience are you getting are you getting somebody like myself that again I function at a standard medical director level which is really like a GP but the additional skill set to understand okay this person this four-year-old child does not have a twisted bowel their life is not uh, under threat they're not even at the point where they're so severely dehydrated or septic Um, somebody that can have a better understanding and insight by again just asking a a few questions to be able to prevent let's say an embarrassment uh, and an untoward event to the client and also putting a a significant uh, uh, (laughs) uh, wrench in the works of the security team Mm
1: -hmm. because that because that's you know just as they want to be an enabler and facilitator to their principal so you need to you know, be that for the whole team, um, right? But then, but then I can imagine there are you know there's solo operators out there or operators that you know sometimes join one team, sometimes join another, and and they and they might think, ah, well, you know what, I I I can barely get my head around uh, T or Freck and and things like that, right? Right. Where can I add value uh, without being annoying to said MD? Should I? Should I? I mean, they, they should be your eyes and ears, but where, where can those eyes and ears about your principal really add value?
0: Yeah, uh, getting back to the concept of the absentee landlord, uh, again, it's become a, a, a bit of a legal concern now in the States. And that is, number one, it's incumbent upon the medical director to directly uh, engage Uh, and be able to certify and sign off that they understand the capacities, the competencies of the people under their direction. Uh, Because should something go sideways, and here's where a security team, it's important for them, because, again, it's not necessarily the trauma that we're dealing with. In fact, I would say that's not my concern at all my concern is for the general medical problems that uh, a person is dealing with on a daily basis. And again, some of those CEOs and and other folks have significant medical problems uh, that a team needs to be aware of. I think the relationship that the solo practitioner uh, that we're talking about here would have with that medical oversight, it doesn't end tail number one a significant uh, financial burden to that person it should not uh, people routinely will say well you're a trauma surgeon and uh you're an intensivist you're probably you you're the top zero zero one percent of the medical world and i would agree yes that's true but again that's not what you're hiring me for um, more importantly that's not what i'm offering <laughs> um, honestly, I should not have to be engaging you uh, as a trauma surgeon, because if I'm engaging you, uh, my patient now is a trauma surgeon, well, you've been shot, stabbed, fallen off height, gotten into a major crash. At that point, that's a significant problem uh, that should have, I would like to say, there's no such things as accidents. Uh, We say that in the trauma community, these incidents really with enough planning Um, and logistics understanding should prevent so the ability to interface with that solo practitioner and to come up with a proper advance the medical intelligence analysis that I would then give to them beyond the sure I got your certifications sure I can render you know wellness uh, to your program whatever but really, it's a service that my company is providing, and ultimately, my client, uh, my principal client, is the security team. Is that solo practitioner,
1: if you will? And, but the, but the thing is, you're engaged. You sound excited about the work.
0: <laughs> I mean, you, you, you do very right? much so i do it it's it's actually a pleasure um and it, it may sound anathema to some people it's like well you're a trauma surgeon and, and what have you i get that all the time um in fact two years ago at uh, at the special operations uh medical uh, association scientific assembly i had uh, a former navy seal and a former marine corps force recon uh two two gentlemen who towered over me looked like you know brick walls, wonderfully pleasant um who said the that when they heard they were meeting me they started to bristle uh i i said well you know gentlemen uh you're about two meters in in height uh god knows how many stone you weigh and again this is for your uk audience uh for the united states folks these these gentlemen were over six feet tall uh, and and quite large. I, I'm coming out of my ivory tower. And I, so I told him, I said, I think the medical community, and, and again, I can't speak for everybody. This is simply my opinion. So let me put in that caveat right there. I think we've done a disservice. When I went to do training, uh as a physician um my understanding was that i was going to get out and maybe it was being overly altruistic and naive but my understanding was that at the end of it i was going to get out maybe go into the military uh or uh or or help uh with law enforcement or something of the sort and when that became something you know after you know decades of of schooling (laughs) training uh, and at my age now, in some fashion, I'm giving back for me to now say, well, I'm above this or at a level that, you know, I shouldn't even be bothered by something like that. I think it's unfortunate um, because we're not giving back. I'm not able to use my education and my experiences for the betterment of folks in general, again, I don't mean to sound uh, overly uh, presumptuous here, but the fact that my desires have always been to assist, especially in an environment where things can be very critical and can get very critical very quickly. It's my forte. Uh, I don't, at this point, very few things shock and surprise me, but most people don't understand that trauma surgeons in general, and I'm not trying to put a plug in here for the for our community, but we deal with the general medical issues of a patient, um, again, both from whatever issue they have before coming into the hospital to, you know, thereafter. I've been engaged in a lot of preventative health maintenance. Um, I've gone to schools. um to assist with that up to and including convalescence when the patients and their families, um, you know, have these uh, protracted uh, concerns and cares. It's almost like the specialist surgeons in Japan, I'm not sure if your um, listeners understand that, uh, and this was what it was explained to me, uh, I have an absolute love and, and, and desire, uh, you know, for a Japanese uh, Uh, culture, uh, desired to learn the language more. I've been doing that since uh, I was a teenager. And through some uh, martial arts training that I I did, uh, I was with a neurosurgeon, a Japanese neurosurgeon. And he explained to me that whenever a specialist in Japan uh, engages with a patient, that person then becomes the GP for them. I don't know if this has changed. This was explained to me geez, when I was in medical school, you know, uh, about two decades ago. Um, But I found it very fascinating because that resonated with me, such that here's a person who is a brain surgeon, but now has assumed care of somebody and by the societal norms is required to some degree to handle the patient's diabetes. So as an intensivist and a trauma surgeon, I can handle any patient anywhere at the beginning of their hospital care to the end of their hospital care. And I do that routinely too, uh, which is palliative care. So my experience and and breadth thereof, uh, the spectrum of my capabilities, why shouldn't they be brought to bear in a community that deals with all levels of safety and security? You're talking about children, uh the families uh whether you know we're talking about adults or not this is something that really is disconcerting even to medical practitioners the minute you say pediatric (laughs) pediatric medical problem even if it was to say trauma they start you know getting a significant degree of sphincter tone
1: (laughs) yeah a little a little bit like saying anything wedding related uh when you book a Absolutely, absolutely. But but no, that's an interesting uh, reflection. With you know, specialist to generalist to specialist, and, and 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 everything in between. And and you know, hey, we had Kenji Okamoto, who's our friend in Japan, who he 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 is a facilitator because EP is not quite condoned in Japan in the same way. Uh, we, right. should, we should we should have him back on and, and sort of try it out. Um, and I, I asked the question, you know, hey, you, you you do sound excited about it, because in my mind, I wondered, how will we get high flying consultants to not do that? And hey, it could be a welcome break from trauma surgery. I don't know. Um, it, but... <laughs> it is.
0: It is a welcome. It is a welcome break. Again, I think it's important also to understand the level of educational um components that people are looking for. Because again, a number of these companies, these purveyors of medical education, it's very cool, and we say tactical, to, you know, say, well, you know, tourniquets you know and this and that and bleeding and shooting and well this is a tactical backpack or something of the sort as we mentioned earlier that's not (laughs) what I see a lot of I'm obviously in the community Uh, I obviously you know deal with uh, and work with you know special operations groups whether it be law enforcement or military but again I think it's important to understand that when we're talking about let's say the tactical medic or the paramedic we have to delineate certification licensure and competencies because again just because you know you say you're a tactical medic okay well wonderful what does that mean i mean anybody literally can be in a tactical situation you can probably be in a tactical situation in the supermarket um but honestly are are we expecting let's say you know um General military personnel, simply because they're military, to identify themselves as tactical. I'm not sure about that. I can't answer Mm. that or speak to that. But I think it's important to say that a paramedic qualification, these folks undergo a significant amount of education that entails a number of certifications that does not necessarily mean uh, or equate to licensure. And any medical director, because again, they have to work under the ages, under the license of uh, another medical provider, a physician, at least in the United States. Um, Again, that gets back to the oversight that's being provided. So I think it's important to understand what type of uh, background this person has, what certifications they uh, have accumulated or required. And who, what licensing agency, more often than not, it's the state, at least in the United States, uh, that's giving them licensure uh, to practice medicine. And that becomes really important because, at least in the United States, here's something wonderful um, that I've run into. uh, Another reason why I've acquired uh, licensure in a number of different states is that if somebody... Uh, let's say law enforcement, uh, a specialty team like a SWAT team member, a medic on a SWAT team, has a uh, significant amount of medical gear that they uh, manage to cross state lines with. If there's no mutual assistance agreements or some sort of understanding the reciprocity there, I've been told point blank by the attorney general of one said state that if your people come into my state, <laughs> quote, unquote, with their medical bags, et cetera, and render care that goes uh, not according to plan, they used a different uh, expression, then I will hold them liable for practicing without a license. That even gets back to the intent to practice without a license. So at least in the United States, it's really important for physicians who provide that type of oversight and direction, to understand that, again, you can assist, you can provide protocols, policies, et cetera, to a security agency. But if you're going to somehow say, you're now operating under my license, I think they need to be quite cognizant of those ramifications. And that goes doubly for the agency or company uh, that hires that person uh, or advertises to a client, yes, our folks, our security you know, specialists are credentialed and they're able to practice medicine to some degree. Rendering care, first aid, CPR, well, sure, understandable. But again, having a, a bag of medical equipment, including, and in some states you need that license, Uh, for Narcan, uh, or the reversal agent,
1: narcotics reversal agents, even insulin. So, so so just, just to clarify, you can because you're licensed and because you're a doctor, they can't because they're neither licensed nor a doctor.
0: If they are under my license and they have that additional certification, let's say like a paramedic. Uh, again, it's specific to the laws of the state, and I know this is a bugaboo word, at least in in the United States um, and in Western Christian countries, is the Good Samaritan law. Um, I I'm loath to even address that because I hear that isn't that uh, a French almost-
1: thing? Isn't that isn't that <laughs> very 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 prevalent in France? That if you don't do anything, then yours are liable.
0: Okay, so. This again will now enter into a number of different laws that are in place, and these vary. These vary uh, by, at least in the United States, by state, um, and at least abroad. Uh, again, it it's going to vary widely based on the circumstances uh, that one finds themselves in. There are um, laws that you know will require. Uh, a physician to act, Um, and then there are places where that is not uh, incumbent upon them, and there are places where it would, uh, I would dare say, be in the benefit uh, of a practitioner not to render care, because again, it's, it's very, very specific. A physician the physician oversight, the medical oversight, they need to be really aware and engaged with the laws of wherever their team happens to operate if they do not. And again, um, there are places I've heard of specialists, protection specialists, um, because they were brought up, uh, whether that be in France, the UK, or the United States, uh, one in particular, um, they were on a, uh, an aircraft, uh, a, uh, a foreign uh, national aircraft. And I say that because I'm an American, but uh, a patient uh, started having chest issues. Well, this person through their training would have you started rendering care and providing CPR. Well, the patient died. Well, as soon as that plane landed, that specialist was arrested. Um, and that's the thing that people need to be mindful of. If you're under uh, a foreign flag uh, and you decide to start rendering care, are you cognizant of what their their laws are? That, again, are, are oftentimes, you know, in, in, in many places, uh, we're talking about um, religious, you know, uh, laws that come into play. Um, unfortunately, what was believed to be the situation in this case was, well, it was the will of God that they would have this problem and they were gonna die and here you are getting involved. Well, how how is it that you deemed it important for you to get involved, number one, to change what was going to happen? And two, how do we know that you didn't cause this patient to die through your negligence? So again, um, any team, and and I've gotten numerous calls, to assist with that and that is teams are going abroad what are the laws what is the licensure what can they do what can't they do uh and that takes a fair degree of planning it's not as simple as oh well you know uh, there's policies in place guys and gals don't do x y and z um you know just be mindful and and be aware of what's going on around you and don't get into any trouble you, you, that <laughs> that no longer flies you, you you can't do that
1: and and, and so I guess, you know, where does this all sort of lead? This leads to maybe an appetite to use an MD in your team. It's an awareness that some people are. Um, you might rock up on your latest detail because many people literally get a call. Who's got the multi, um, multi-entry visa to Chad. And they're like me. And suddenly they're on a detail the next uh, afternoon. Right? So, right. so a lot a lot of people will just right. be e- e- suddenly exposed to this. However, to the extent that you can, let's say I am a company that provides EP services. I don't, obviously we don't want to talk numbers, but but how should they start to price uh, bundling an MD? Uh, how should they start yeah. to yeah. Um, sell it, package it? Um, should yeah. it be, I don't do it, go talk to uh, Dr. George? You know, what, what what's the logistics there?
0: It's important to identify three major facets of what you're looking for the medical service provider uh, to offer. And that is, one, do you need medical direction? And that comes in a couple different flavors. The medical direction would be somebody that would handle uh, certifications, uh, potentially licensure uh, requirements, uh, providing, let's say, um, for uh, budgeting. Uh, performance improvement, quality improvement, things that um, most training uh, programs for medical directors uh, would entail. Um, It's helpful to know that if that's what they're looking for, then fair enough. That doesn't entail having the medical, uh, the physician embedded in the team. That's not what that needs. Um, So that's easy enough to consult the physician. Um, So they can, at that point, they would uh, be uh, contracted if they wanted just simply to provide those items. And that's all they do. And that's fine. They can certainly do that. Um, They can also have them, let's say, on retainer, or they can even pay them such that if they wanted to to continue providing for these uh, services, um, to do that monthly or yearly or what have you. Again, I think it's important to understand what they want. If they want medical control... Again, we make a distinction here because medical direction is exactly that. It's that level of oversight that provides for these fundamental things. If you're talking about medical control, at least in the United States, the Centers uh, for Medicare uh, and Medicaid, basically, they identify that as care, direct care uh, that is rendered when somebody is actually in route to uh, a healthcare institution. So in the situation here, if there's a team, a detail or whatever that needs that, that ability to call up, uh, hey, that- uh, you know, I've got this situation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what should I do? Or I'm, I'm about to do this, or I have done that or whatever. That I think is the next flavor. So are we talking about being the director or are you simply, you know, the directorship? Uh, and, and again, that comes in a number uh, of, of different uh, flavors. Uh, medical directors can also be hired to provide education. My education, given my level, you know, especially with all of the other uh, medical educators out there, um, what I come in at is the train the trainer. I'm looking for those medics, those clinicians, let's say nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, or what have you, uh, to train them uh, at, for, let's say, recredentialing to um, understand more of what it would entail. Uh, to for continuing education and, and what have you, the medical director's course that uh, our company does is specific to protection and security uh, communities. Because, again, you know, if you're looking at medical direction for, um, let's say, EMS, well, that's wonderful. Unfortunately, um, physicians, you know, emergency medicine physicians. God bless them and we're lucky to have them. Uh, Again, their medical direction by and large is for ambulance crews. Well, protective security um, agencies and companies were not ambulance. We are not running ambulance services. again, as we understand it here now, does transportation and and what have you entail, let's say, evacuation, et cetera, and potentially medical, uh, you know, uh, control? Absolutely. But again, for, you know, like you said, the solo practitioner or something like that, I think it's important that they don't get overwhelmed such that they're calling any number of medical service companies only to feel uh, weighed down and 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 you know overwhelmed by the different things that they simply don't need, and the cost associated with them. So again, understanding do they need directorship, direction, you know by somebody directly embedded with the team, i e. the control. Um, and or do they need something where they can have somebody interface with the client? which Mm -hmm. is another facet here. Um, Again, I hear about it all the time, you know, that um, the principal is not giving them the information or they don't think it's important. Um, Well, (laughs) the problem is, is that there's only so much that, uh, uh, again, a a protective security specialist is able to, to gather where a physician can actually bridge that gap and can go places with the client that otherwise would not be afforded without their input. So, you know, I think that's important to know. Do you, you know, have a team, are we talking about covered or uncovered uh, protection here? You know, so uh, again, it's important to understand what exactly you're looking for. I would be very, very uh, reticent to recommend to any agency that they offer services of a medical nature without consulting somebody who as a physician like myself, or even legal um, and insurance adjusters. Uh, I've had wonderful conversations with uh, insurance providers uh, for the protective security community. And it's phenomenal to me that a medical writer is more often than not, not even offered uh, because simply the company, the security company, is not asking for it. Um, I find that to be distressing, uh, disconcerting in the, at, at the very least. So understanding what you need to do uh, for licensure, I mean, people have to be licensed to provide security. Well, do understand that if you're going to say something like, we have medical capability – that now starts to border on, okay, are you practicing medical care? Are you saying that, you know, you have people that can practice some degree of medicine? Um, because, again, if you're prepared for certain situations, you have a bag, et cetera, um, I, I have it on, on, like I said, I've had interactions with, um, with legal counsel and, and, and other attorneys and barristers. Who have told me directly you know they should be cognizant that it, you need a license to practice medicine and if there's an intent to practice that too can be problematic for somebody if the situation um becomes um uh, difficult and uh problematic
1: well i think then that's a good point to leave it on because uh, you know for, for 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 all the efforts of a of a an operator, an EP specialist, it, you need a license. <laughs> so, um, right. so, 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 I think we can think about engaging MDs. It's not just um, a luxury in you know sort of fanciful circumstances, as maybe we imagined during the pandemic. Some people said, "Oh no, let's have uh, a bunch of uh, you know equipment on our team." I think there's a much more real-world um, application to it, and. I think, Correct. no, no, nowhere is completely a safe zone. <laughs> nowhere is a completely right. a boring zone anymore, if it ever was, and uh, and, and and I think that is uh, very important for our EP community around the world. Um, wonderful. We have we have explored a lot of topics and we've gone uh around a lot of different ways. But uh, but yes, it's 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 a great pleasure to have you on. Um, what is what is next for you? Where will people next find you? How can people get in touch?
0: For me, uh, I'm becoming uh, more and more enchanted, uh, and I should say, uh, the networking uh, with the different uh, groups uh, uh, has been wonderful. Uh, I think. Uh, you know, uh, offering myself such that people know that there are folks who actually care and are willing to provide a higher level of of, uh, insight and uh, or oversight um, that we're here. Uh, Please let us know um, because uh, we're around and folks should not feel like, well, it's in the way we've done it for ages. And that's, you know, what's good enough is, is fine by us. So, uh, if that's an answer, um, you'll find me around and, and engaged. Uh, please look me up.
1: Fantastic. Well, uh, Dr. George, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure having you on. It was wonderful to see you at uh, the Vegas conference. And uh, I, I really enjoy uh, this topic, MD, in your EP team. So uh, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Well, thank you very much, Dr. George DeBusque. Wonderful to have seen you in Vegas last month, but also lovely to start the new year year off with a new year, new you kind of question, medical doctor in the team. Sean, I know it was quite a long interview, but what did you take away from today's session?
2: Uh, There was a lot of in-depth answers there, but very interesting all the same. And, you know, if you're a a billionaire, high net worth individual, or you're going to have a doctor doctor on call, right? You're not going to be going to a doctor, surgery, queuing up, calling the NHS to make an appointment, like, say, me or you. You're going to have access to these doctors. But I guess the question was, do we have one embedded within the EP team? And I think, you know, if you've got a principal that's got an ongoing health complaint, I don't, there's no reason why they shouldn't be travelling with a doctor. You know, certainly with the ageing, Principals I've worked with who've had their parents who are getting on, they've had that way. They've had nurses and doctors who've travelled with them because they've needed ongoing 24-hour healthcare. But for you know, a regular high-net-worth individual, a doctor embedded on a CP team, like I said in the intro, I'm not so sure it's something that can be sold to everybody, but certainly as a service, you know, where the CP team has access to um, the doctor and their... The doctor can write out some protocols if something goes wrong and the doctor can keep the team up to date with any, you know, ongoing health changes that they may, may need to be aware of, of their principle. I think for sure, you know, it, it's a huge asset to have access to a doctor. It's certainly, you know, when we've just gone through pandemics such as COVID, uh, who you've got a doctor on the books who's, you know, getting immediate access to the latest government advice under a health professional and they can feed back um, from their point of view. And, you know, they've done all the studies for years. They've got mm. the correct ticks in the box where or you Googling this information, it's not going to be as, mm. we're not going to have, have the same studies and same experiences what, you know, a doctor will bring to the table for sure.
1: That's right. And it elevates the conversation. It gets uh, mano a mano, or I don't know if, you know, if that's PC anymore, but, you know, politically correct person with another person on the same level. They're speaking the right language.
2: Yeah. And when you try to tell your principal you can't do this or you can't do that during a pandemic, you know, there's a lot of times they won't listen to a doctor if it's health advice, but they're not gonna to listen to you.
1: Some, some some someone with a spinal injury, they say, I'm gonna go caving. You're like, No, you're not. Well, yeah. I mean try it, you know, it's just it is just much more effective if you get the right, uh, the right, uh, the right person. But interestingly, I don't know if I'm going to feature medical uh, technology so much this year at the CP Tech Forum on the 26th of January. See, see what I did there. Um, but I am very much looking forward to it. I know a lot of BBA, NABBA uh, and Circuit Magazine uh, subscribers, members have signed up already. Uh, we would very much like to see you there on the 26th of January at the Grand Connor Rooms. Um, Please do look out. Of course, Circuit Magazine and BBA and NABBA has been putting out lots of information and codes and and special um, registrations. So you know, please look out for that. Now, I, I say that not as some sort of crazy marketing ploy, but we do actually cut off registrations because we do actually sell out, which is you know good news. It's just we'd rather you, as our community, uh, be there. Uh, uh, you know, because because you've been you've been supporting us a lot. Um, It was fantastic to see so many of our listeners in Vegas. Uh, you know who you are, but you said two of you at least said uh, to me, hey, I recognize that voice, um, which is enormously flattering. Uh, and uh, you, you said some great things about the magazine and the podcast. Some of you had some good ideas for new content, new styles. Thank you. Uh, we are taking those on board. Uh, You it was wonderful. You actually came up to me and said, Do you know what? this I would like to see, and this perhaps I would like to change. I think excellent that you you did all of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think this is really good news. Please keep everything going with the uh, BBA Connect app, Naba Protector app, and uh, of course the magazine itself. Um, we've started the new year. We're looking forward to seeing you very soon. Um, and what a great topic to start the year with medical practitioners uh, and a new year, new you kind of look. So, from Sean and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast.
0: You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.